Welcome to part two of our series on what's next. Uh, just a very quick reminder that you can follow along on version. In fact, I'd strongly encourage you to do that today. There are quite a few notes that, uh, that you might want to go back to, and there are a few scriptures. And then there are a couple of Bible reading plans at the bottom that might be helpful to you as you go along. So make sure that you follow along on version. But we're kind of taking a look at the steps that we want to take next as uh, not as a church as much as individuals. So, so every single one of us are on a journey. You're somewhere in your journey. Uh, you're in different places to other people. So the next step will be different for you to what it might be for someone else. But, but our vision, our whole approach as a church is based on the journey that I believe that God wants to take us on. And so we're going to throw the vision statement back up on the screen real quickly. And by the way, very soon we're going to be giving our chocolates to people that can actually remember our vision statement. We got a fright the other day when we asked our volunteers and they were like, um, um. So, so, we, so we realized, okay, vision leaks and uh, anything that doesn't get repeated uh, tends to kind of just drift away. So we want to maybe read this together. Can we start from the top? Is that all right? We are here to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus Join us as we know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. So that is our vision statement. That's our approach. That's what we measure. We measure whether or not we're reaching people with the life-giving message of Jesus. Are people actually experiencing life, or are they just experiencing religion? Are they, are they just attending, or are they actually growing in God? Are they just ticking boxes, or are we actually enjoying a vibrant, vital relationship with God, because I honestly believe we have an enemy who wants you to settle for religion, and then we have a Savior who died on the cross for us and rose from the dead to actually bring us life, that we can actually enjoy that personal relationship with God. And that's why the very first step, the very first goal is to help one another to know God. And that, that involves a, a, a quite, a, quite a number of different facets, but the two that we're focusing on last week and today are the two that are within our control as to what we can do to actually grow in knowing God. Last week we took a look at how we can approach the Bible, how we can actually read God's written word in order to know Him. Not to know more, to know Him. So the goal is not, is not a, a, a far greater volume of information. The goal is a relationship that, by the way, the, one of the knock-on effects, the fruit of that is transformation. But, but even transformation is not even the first goal. The first goal is relationship. The first goal is actually knowing God, growing in your confidence, in your intimacy, in a personal, vital, vibrant relationship with God. And that leads to transformation. It leads to bearing fruit. It leads to discovering God's purpose for our lives. And it leads to us making, our, uh, making a difference. So we encouraged you to uh, commit to the 21-day drizzle. Anyone? Done the 21-day drizzle? Can someone encourage your pastor? Anybody, anybody committed to a reading plan the last week? So, so the idea is that you don't, again, you don't try and tackle massive volume. Uh, we're saying it's more the consistency than the quantity. So it's more the habit. It's developing the habit because successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. And so we want you to be consistent and actually just spending some time. If you've, if you've never done this before, then I'm saying even just take five minutes. Like, like choose a, an easy, short Bible reading plan that you, can, that you can realistically get to every day. In other words, there, there are no excuses. Like you can do it 
It won't take you more than five minutes. But for someone else, if you've been on the road for a long time, then we're encouraging you to do whatever you feel prompted from God is the next step for you in terms of maybe getting a little bit more serious, giving God a little bit more space in your life. Again, don't compare it. People are in different places in their life. But today, I want to take a look at the second part of what is within our control, and that's the area of prayer. And, and prayer uh, means different things to different people, and it might conjure up a, a different uh, conscious or subconscious thought or, or sense. And I, I tend to think that we often make prayer more complicated for ourselves than what it needs to be. And I think sometimes you have a perception of what a good prayer is, you know, uh, what, a, what a strong Christian's prayer must look like and how eloquent and Elizabeth, you know, Elizabethan and Shakespearean and King James in you know, their language is when they, when they talk to God. And it's just, it's just so, it's beautiful. It's just dripping with awesome sauce. You know, it's just, it's just it's special. It feels powerful. And, and it just flows. And the reality is that I think anyone, just, just so you know, honestly, my opinion, anyone that's in a healthy relationship with God, when it comes to their private time, unless they were born in, I don't know, Buckingham Palace, and, and have been brought up to speak with a certain accent, that should never be how you're talking to God. Uh, it should be something that is real. I, I would even argue raw. Um, God is not impressed with language. He created it. He's not impressed with accents. Uh, he doesn't want us to put on facades. God, God is our Heavenly Father and wants it to be something that is real, that is honest, that is relaxed. Um, it's not something that gets critiqued. God's wanting to communicate with us. It's heart to heart. And again, for those of you that are parents, you know that the type of conversation that you have with a baby, well, it's not much of a conversation, but the kind of interaction that you have with a baby is different to that of a toddler, is different to that of a young child, to an adolescent, to an older teenager, to an adult, um, to a much older adult. Like, it's different. So again, don't compare it. Don't compare it to somebody else. But also, don't make excuses. You see, I think that's what happens when we compare. When we compare ourselves to someone else, we then give in to the temptation to make excuses for why we shouldn't pray. Um, and by the way, I'm not, when I say prayer, I'm not talking about public prayer. I'm not talking about praying in front of others. I'm just talking about talking to God. So I want to take a look at a couple of, I think, just key uh, principles and suggestions that should help us. And number one, the most important... It, this is what I want you to walk away with today is, number one, A, I want you to make prayer personal. Make prayer personal. It's amazing how we can make prayer a whole bunch of other things. But before anything else, remember, I want you to, I want you to constantly remember we are wanting to know God. We want to know God. We want to be in a healthy relationship with God. So we want to make prayer personal. Uh, perhaps I would imagine the most a well-known address uh, in Scripture towards prayer is where the disciples spoke to Jesus and asked him to teach them to pray. And then as part of his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, uh, he described or went on to explain to them what many have called the Lord's Prayer. So just before he kind of gives that model, a few verses before that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, he says, and I want you to notice the words that are underlined or emboldened, when you pray. It'll come up in a second. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. 
Just so you know, they're not talking, they're not saying that you can't pray publicly or that you can't pray in front of others. It's just that he's talking about these hypocrites where they would put on this great show. Back then, people would put on this, this, this impressive display of how spiritual they were. And in some cases, I think it made God sick. So he's not looking for that. But, but notice those, those highlighted words, when you pray. Jesus assumed we'd pray. So it's not if, but, or maybe. It's when. When you pray. Then it goes on again a second time. He says, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to notice those words, your Father. Your Father. In private. Then, your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. A third time, he says, verse 7, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words. So, again, I don't think the problem is that you talk too much. Some of us do talk too much. Okay? Okay. I don't think that's the problem. It's when our faith is in how much we talk. When our faith is in how much we repeat the same thing. Okay? As opposed to being secure. Like if my daughter asks me for something, one of my daughters, like they don't have to ask again and 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 again. Like eventually that's going to reveal their impression of our relationship. Like, babe, I heard you. Yes. I'm in. Let's do it. They don't have to keep begging and pleading and babbling on and convince and convert me. Uh, Don't be like them for, there we go again, your father knows exactly what you need before you ask him. I want to encourage you that your father responds to family, not fluff. So so fluff is is when we're concerned with being impressive, when we're concerned with how we come across. He's like, no, no, it's just your family. When you're a son and a daughter, it's like, yeah, cool, let's talk, let's connect. He responds to family. The goal is knowing God. Take a look quickly in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. It says that I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is Paul the Apostle, one of the early church leaders, writing to a group of Christians in this city of Ephesus, and he's saying, I keep praying, I keep asking God. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and that's our prayer for you, by the way, that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And that word know in, in Greek is, is from a, a word uh, that you pronounce gnosko or nosko, and, and, it's, and it's, not just a, it's not just an academic knowledge. It's a knowing. It's an, it's an intimacy. In fact, in fact, in some cases, it refers to the knowing between a husband and a wife. Like It's, it's talking about intimacy. It's not, just, it's not just some disconnected knowing about. It is to know that person personally. And here's, here's the big idea. If you, if you kind of miss everything else I say today, I want, you, I want you to walk away with this almost like burning in your brain that we want to pray for relationship before results. We want to pray for relationship before results. And one of the reasons for that is because I believe that we're in danger of pursuing religion when results are prioritized above relationship. I want you to think about that for a moment. How often would we be more satisfied? How often are we more hungry for relationship as opposed to God? Like, I need you to do this and that and the next thing. It's how, how often are we not actually more concerned with results than relationship? And, and, and 
I don't want to discourage you. I'm saying we need to be aware of that because I think that's human nature. Human nature is that we want results. Give me, help me, bless me, serve me, do for me what I want. And, and, and what's interesting is I'm not saying that we can't care about results. You'll see in a few moments that we can. But put in the right order. It's relationship first, and then it's results. If you know that you're more concerned with results and relationship when you get really peed off with God, when He doesn't give you what you want, and you turn the cold shoulder, and you, and you give Him a miss, and you deliberately stop fill in the blank, whatever, whatever it is that you were doing. That's called religion. It's, so what that means is that I was doing A, B, and C so that you'd give me X, Y, and Z. And when you don't give me X, Y, and Z, well, then obviously A, B, and C isn't working, so then I'm going to try something else. And I'm saying that's actually the definition of religion. It's what we do to get you to do what I want you to do. But if we actually believe that the relationship is key, then everything else is secondary. That's when, even when we're going through an incredibly tough time and we're, and we're demanding clarity, we'll actually, we'll actually trust and believe that we can have calm without clarity. But so often we want clarity. We have the calm or not. We, we, we want to know. We want to understand. And sometimes, sometimes knowing Jesus is better than knowing why. And I don't say that insensitively because there are times where we are in pain and turmoil wanting to understand something, and I think that we can lift it up to God again as, as, as a healthy son or daughter. But, but let the priority be relationship. So pray for relationship. Secondly, make prayer a priority. Make prayer a priority. I can tell my wife that I love her, but if I never interact with her, if I never communicate with her, she's going to start to question whether or not I love her. And enjoy her and want to know her. Lisa Turquist, um, great author and speaker, says the following. First thing in the morning, my heart is like a dry sponge. And where I apply my heart first, that's going to saturate me most deeply. If I apply my heart first to the screaming demands of this world, it's very hard for me to keep my eyes on Jesus. I must exchange whispers with God before shouts with the world. So that's why I would encourage you, if at all possible, to keep your phone on flight mode. I, mean, I know most of us, I would imagine, use it as an alarm, but keep it on flight mode throughout the night if, 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 if you can, so that, so that you actually fight that temptation to first check mail, messages, news, uh, weather, whatever the case is, so that, so that even, if, even if this isn't your formal time, I would encourage you, so, so even if this isn't your structured prayer time, try and let the first words, the first thought out of your mind out of your mouth when you wake up in the morning be towards God imagine if you imagine if you made a habit out of waking up every morning just thanking God for three things or what if you made a habit out of every morning just waking up saying good morning Lord help me to enjoy you today help me to follow you today help me God you're the leader I'm the follower help me to I want to encourage you to make it a priority Uh, if you've been around for a while you've heard us say this following statement uh, many, many times where we want prayer to be our first response, not our last resort. We want prayer to be our first response. So before you send that email, pray first. Before you have that awkward conversation, just quickly pray first. Before you, have that, before you interact with that conflict or before you have that conversation that could go south with one of your family members, pray first. Before you swipe that card, pray first. Hey, if, if he's our dad and he's with us all the time, 
Like, he's not surprised. Like, oh, what? I didn't see that card come out of the wallet. Like, God's with us. We can pray first. One of the things that we've done over the last couple of years to try and help you remember that is these little black bands where we have the words on it just simply saying pray first. Maybe you want to grab one after the service. I think, I think they're 15 rand. Make prayer a priority. See, find your place of prayer. We want to make it personal. We want to make it a priority. So that's a choice. And I would encourage you to actually have a place of prayer. So, so the idea is to be able to pray all throughout your day that is natural, that, that, that you're constantly communing with the one that's with you. But I would encourage you that the more structured we are about having a fixed time, so a place, the, the more that's going to overflow into the rest of your day. don't have time to go into the whole story, but some of you know uh, that in the Old Testament, the, this incredible story of Daniel uh, from Daniel and the Lion's Den fame, where, where his life was on the line, long story behind that, but we read in chapter 6, verse 10, uh, when Daniel discovers this, it says that when Daniel learned that the Lord had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual. In other words, it was a habit. In his upstairs room, he had a place. You might have a, you might have a, a spot in your car in a certain, you know, at the beach, or you may have a, a spot in the taxi, or you may have a spot in, in, a, in your lounge somewhere before everyone wakes up, but he had a place. He's upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done. He had a habit. He had a habit. It was personal. It was definitely a priority. And he actually had a place. I'm not talking about being legalistic. I'm talking about being helpful. Just, just put structure. Put a, put a goal. Put a commitment into your life, you'll be amazed. And again, just like we said with the 21-day drizzle last week that it doesn't look like too many of you committed to, which I'm going to forgive you for, we're going to start again today. <laughs> and I'm saying again, same thing with prayer. Like, just commit. Try a plan and commit to it for 21 days. You'll be amazed at how quickly. So, so to start with, here's, here's the reality. The first few days, you're going to feel like, like, like something's going on in your brain because, because it's just going to be so distracted and, and it could be so hard to actually get focused. But if you will persevere, you'll be amazed at how after a certain amount of time when you actually develop a habit, you actually start craving. The Bible actually says that as a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. You'll be amazed at how you can wake up in the morning and you're actually longing, yearning to go and sit in that place. Or you can't wait to get into the taxi. You can't wait to get into the bus. You can't wait. In fact, one of our young people was telling me on Friday night how they, um, she lives in Joslovo. She has to walk uh, to the taxi rank, I think, near Sable Square. At 5.30 in the morning by herself, she's like, Jason, I pray. I'd be, I'd, I'd be praying too <laughs> if I was doing that. Um, in, fact, she, in fact, so much so she said that it's actually hard for her when she's on school holiday because she's in such a habit because she then spends the next two and a bit hours traveling to school in Hard Bay because that's where she can get to school. Um, and so she's saying when she's on school holidays, it's actually hard, harder to actually, you know, in terms of quiet times because she's in such a habit, such a rhythm. Just make it easier for yourself. And then lastly there is the plan of prayer. We need to have a plan. You don't have to have a plan, but I would argue we need to have a plan. If you're anything like me, um, I've never been diagnosed, but I honestly do think I have a little bit of ADD. I struggle to concentrate. My brain can go. I actually have to set a, a constant little countdown on my watch to, to go off, and it depends on the day, every two or three minutes to, to actually like catch me because my mind will, will wander off so often. So it'll almost like catch me, Jason. This is, wait, wait, come back. Come, well, come back, boy. Come, come, come. come back. Come back to what we're doing. 
Um, like, I need that kind of help. And so for me, over the years, so often, this model of the Lord's Prayer has been so helpful to me, where it's not a, it's not a mantra. Maybe, maybe you grew up in school uh, around the same time as me, where, I don't know if you uh, grew up in a time where you, during assembly, at the beginning of assembly, you would actually re- recite the Lord's Prayer. It was very King James-ian. Um, but, but, but it was almost like this mantra, and it, was this, and it was this formal prayer. And there's nothing wrong with reciting it, but I don't think that, that's actually, that that was actually Jesus' intention. I think he was sharing a model with us. He was sharing a plan that had principles and, and promises. So I want to wrap up with a few suggestions as to how, if you because again, maybe you're sitting here thinking, then what? Okay, so I sit down. And then? Hi, God. You know, so, so, so I just, I'm just, and, and maybe, maybe I'm being a little bit uh, jovial about that, but I think for many of us, it's like, so what then? What do I do? And, and, and I'd like to tell you that after being pretty serious about God for the last 25 years or so, this is still the model that'll help me the most. That when, when I feel like I'm just floating and I'm just uh, not, not focused enough, it'll just help me, just prompt me back to, to, to just trying to cover some really really important basis. And by the way, I think Jesus' disciples were in the exact same boat as the rest of us. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it said that once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. There was, there was something about the way that Jesus prayed that his disciples wanted to know more. It wasn't that they hadn't seen other people pray. It was just that they hadn't seen anyone pray like that. I think there was an intimacy. I think there was a confidence, an authenticity, a, a security. So then, so that, that's kind of from the passage where Luke is recording what Jesus said. We're going back to where Matthew records what Jesus said. So picking up in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says, pray like this. This is Jesus saying, guys, you want an idea? He has some suggestions on how to pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And if you're sitting here with an actual physical Bible, which would put you in the minority, I do see one or two people, then at the very bottom of your page, you might see a little, like, little, a little asterisk where it says something along the lines of some manuscripts add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And if you grew up in school like I did where you were quoting the Lord's Prayer, then you would have said that last part, right? Anyone remember our Father who art in heaven? Some kids used to think like, his name's Art? Anyway, who art in heaven? Hallowed be your name. Like, who speaks like that, right? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Oh, sorry. Thy. Thy. Okay, it's a long time since I was in primary school. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our trespasses because trespasses will be prosecuted. Remember? Like, that's the only sign I remember. Our trespasses, please, Lord, as we forgive those who trespass against us, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And I think there was a second, and ever. Amen. So, so some of you, a lot of you seem to remember that prayer, right? Then you're sorted. You want to model for prayer, you just have to go through that and remind yourself. So, so let me quickly break that down in just the last few minutes that I have. The first there, again, similar to the first point I made, is that we want to connect with God relationally. Again, you might miss everything else I say, but when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, I want you to, 
I want you to pay attention to that first line. Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father. And we're so familiar with that. If you've been in church for a while or if you've been serving God for a while, you may be very familiar with with God being referred to as our Father. But that was revolutionary to his disciples. To them being told, and, and, and in that day it would have been something, uh, so the, the, the official term would be Abba, um, which is kind of like Papa, which for us would actually, in today's terms, it probably wouldn't be Father, it would probably be Dad. Uh, again, maybe you grew up differently. I didn't grow up saying, Hello, Father. Yes, Father. Whatever you want, Father. Like, that just wasn't how I you know, communicated with my dad. It was dad. Um, now, now, in all seriousness, some of you did grow up like that. Um, or you grew up without a father. And so the analogy of a father is actually very hard for you. It doesn't conjure up a positive sense. Some of you uh, grew up calling your dad sir, which does reveal the era that you grew up in. But, but, but I know but I, I know friends where, in fact, our senior pastor, Graham Evans, I think when he got to six or seven, his dad... His dad who, by the way, was a pastor as well, said to him, okay, we don't hug anymore, we shake, and he would call him Sir. What do you think that did to the relationship? It wasn't an intimate one, he'll tell you. Graham will tell you that he did not have an intimate, his dad was a great man, but he didn't have an intimate relationship with him. And I want to encourage you not to allow formalities to keep you from having an intimate relationship with your heavenly dad. Remember to pray for relationship before results. Romans 8, verse 15, this is again Paul the Apostle speaking. He says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, or in today's terms, Dad. We're adopted. And I would argue that depending on the stage of life that you accepted adoption or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you and you and you're yet to accept that adoption depending on when that was i think that that'll determine for a lot of us how easily or how hard it is for us to relate to him as a father as a dad to where to where it actually does become a relational exercise where it becomes natural and this, this concept is very powerful and meaningful to me because of Sue and my experience with fostering and adoption, where, where, again, because of our daughters having been at different ages when they came into our lives, like it's amazing how easy it is when they're younger and how much more of a challenge it is when you're a teenager and you're having to dare to trust. So you've, so you've never had anyone to trust before. You, you, you've never had a, a positive reference point to, to that of a parent. And, and what's interesting for me, though, is, and, and don't miss this, regardless of mine and Sue's intentions, regardless of how sincere they were, how solid they were, somewhere along the line, our oldest daughter, who was a teenager when she came into our lives, somewhere along the line, she had to make a choice to actually, to actually dare to accept it. To... to to dare to trust. And it's going to be a risk. I'm saying don't wait until, until you are convinced it's risk-free. It's going to take a risk. And, and by the way, when she started calling us something, it changed everything. 
So we were in a relationship, and it took us a long time to connect, and it's a whole story. But, but for a very, very long time, like, like a couple of years, there was, there was no identification. They wouldn't call us Jason, Susan, sir, ma'am, mom, dad, nothing. Um, and, and it was only after quite a few years that we actually encouraged her, like, you can call us whatever you want. In fact, in fact, the only I think it was a God idea. We actually asked her the one day, okay, do you ever pray for us? She said, yes. That's good, we thought. Okay, just out of interest, if you're praying for us, what do you say? Like, Lord, please bless, like fill in the blank. That was the only way I could try and think of, okay, so what do you actually say? And, she, and then she said, mom and dad. Well, actually, it was mommy and daddy at the time. And, and, and that, that shifted something to where she was actually, to where she wanted to, call us, so she wanted to identify us as, as what we, we were. So for us, that was it. We were sold as the rest of our lives. She's our daughter. But she had to accept. She had to respond to that. So I just want to encourage you. There's not a lot more that God can do. He, he's, he's offered adoption. All in. He's, he's boarded with what Jesus did over Easter time. We, we can choose to respond to him as our heavenly father. Secondly, I want to encourage you to worship his name. Uh, that second phrase is, may your name be kept holy, or remember, hallowed be your name. Uh, that word hallowed actually means holy, blessed, re- revered, uh, respected. And, and the idea there, again, it's just a prompt to actually worship God. Um, and worship is more about seeing than what it is about singing. Worship is about seeing God. It's about seeing His goodness, seeing His faithfulness, and actually expressing that to Him. And there, I mean, the Bible is filled with names that describe who God is. We have two devotional plans at the bottom of today's notes on version. if you want to go and take a look at that. Third, we surrendered. I actually thought this would make for a great rap line, but anyway, surrendered to His agenda, okay? When we say, I thought we should actually spell surrender with an A instead of E-R. Surrender to His agenda, but that's what we're doing when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. God, we're surrendering to your agenda. And, and I don't have time to unpack that, but God's agenda includes people that are far from him. God's agenda includes those that are in power and authority and government. God's agenda includes your life and the things that you're connected to. I want to encourage you to surrender to his agenda. Uh, surrender to his will, because we're about to ask him stuff. Because you're allowed to. You're allowed to ask God for things. But, but think about it. You've already just connected with him personally. You've, 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 remi- you've remembered who he is. You've, you're saying, God, I want your will no matter what. Think about that perspective when it comes to actually making your request. And then you're allowed to make your request. Number four, submit everything you need to him. So this is where we pray that he'll provide uh, the bread. That we, uh, the bread re- refers to daily essentials, things that we need. And I think, like any good father, he loves to have us make requests of him. When it's done with the right heart, when it's done with the right reference, and there are a few extra scriptures under that point on you version. Number five, get your heart right with God and people. Nothing is going to affect your relationship with God more than whether or not you accept his forgiveness and, and walk in repentance so God, forgive me, which, which includes, okay, I'm going to confess where I need your forgiveness and where I need to accept that. But, 
I don't think anything will affect your relationship more than when you withhold forgiveness from other people as well. And we're going to probably talk about that in a couple of weeks' time. I want to just encourage you, every time you pray, just take a moment. Say, God, is there anything in my life? In fact, that's, that's why you'll see in the notes there, Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, I know my heart. Test me, I know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. God, is there anything? Is there anyone that I've got an issue with? Anyone I need to forgive? Anyone that, that, anything that I need to accept forgiveness for? And lead me on the path of everlasting life. Let's check our hearts with God. Number six, take your stand against the enemy. I don't want you to forget this part because even though prayer is primarily relational to begin with, there are then also results, but there's also some warfare. And prayer, and this is a whole nother topic, this is a whole nother series, is, is, is also our access to the authority of God over an enemy who does want to do you damage. He does want to distract you. He does want to discourage you. And, and so I love this idea of God, lead me away from temptation, but also deliver me from you. Like, God, protect me, deliver me. And, and, and as you're even just thinking about that, you can confess, God, I'm afraid of this. God, I'm, I'm, I think I'm believing a lie there. God, I'm, I'm feeling discouraged yet. We can take our stand against the enemy with our Father's help. The worship team can come on up. Because the last little point there, again, number seven, is to express faith in God's ability. So I love that extra bit that some manuscripts add where it says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. When, when we say yours is the kingdom, it reminds us that all rule belongs to you. When we say yours is the power, we are reminded that, that all strength, all might flows from God. And yours is the glory, we are reminded that actually his victory is complete already. Like we're actually fighting from a place of victory. I'm just saying that these are some suggestions. These are some tips. And don't worry about, again, don't become legalistic and religious where you feel like you have to tick all seven sections or all seven ideas. Um, there are times of the day where, where, I'll, where I'll, I'll just get lost in one section. That's okay. Because the goal is connecting with God, remember? You, you, you may then be reminded of something else later in the day. Or maybe tomorrow you have more time and you get through other parts. Or maybe there are days where you get through everything. Maybe because I'm too wordy or I think too much, I maybe get stuck longer than someone else. Someone else might be like, wait, it's 30 seconds, I'm done. What's Jason's problem? That doesn't matter. Whatever works for you. Remember, it's a model, not a mantra. The goal is relationship. Prayer is about relationship before results. And what, what I want us to do uh, in a moment, um, is we're actually going to pray for our country. This is an important, ele- in fact, I think every election is important, so I don't know. We can argue that this is more important than others. I think everyone has been important, but I definitely think this one's important. And this isn't about, this isn't about your preferred party. Because you know, again, what's interesting is that some, sometimes we'll be, a, like we'll be more at peace with who's in power than who's in power. You know, and I really don't think God needs a particular brand, a particular party. The Bible tells us that God actually appoints governments. I think what we need to pray for is for whoever is in power. Yes, we can pray for the right people to get into power, but at every level, please don't ever think that one person is going to save the day. It's, we, need pe- we need people with integrity at every level. We need people that have, that have godly values at every level. We need people that are going to help 
build the country, that are going to value people, value education, value, value every part of what, it, of what God's purpose is in terms of, you know, building healthy lives. And, and maybe this is bad news for you, but there's no one party that I think is going to get that done. So, so regardless of what, and by the way, if you can vote, you need to vote. Don't abdicate. You need to vote. But I'm just saying, regardless of whoever is in power at whatever level, in whatever city and province and, and in the nation overall, I'm saying, even then, it's not up to them completely. Like, we need God to work through people. So in a moment, I'm going to get you to stand and we're going to pray. But I do want to encourage you, please, don't just allow this to have been a message where it's like, oh, that's nice. One day, if I feel like I need to pray, I'll go back and download that podcast. No, no. I want this to become a part of your lifestyle. It doesn't have to be this heavy burden. In fact, if it's a heavy burden, then change something. Please, 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 can you commit to the next 21 days? If, 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 if you don't already have a habit of prayer, just commit to 21 days where you try and find a place, you have a plan, you, you make it a priority, and the goal is to make it personal. Is that all right?